breaking news and trending talk with Mike and McCarty. Mornings on 1017 FM and 710 Kiel. One hundred one seven FM, seven ten Keel. Mike and McCarty. Aaron on vacation this week. Louis R. Avalone in studio with me. And on the Jack Spring Electric Newsmaker Hotline this morning, uh, Richard Llewellyn with the Weather Channel. Richard, good morning, sir. Good morning. How are you this morning? Well, I'm doing well. Did not have power all night last night because Ooh. of the yeah. It was uh, w- the first rain we get in in months, and the power goes out. But uh, a- apparently, there were some su- substantial winds that came through. Yeah, we've we've seen some reports this morning of some fifty and sixty mile per hour wind gusts that uh, did knock down some trees and power across the area last night with a cool front that came through and finally broke the back of the triple digit heat that we've been dealing with. We had eleven straight days of triple digit temperatures here at uh, uh, Shreveport Regional and six of the downtown airport. Uh, looking at the temperatures over the weekend, we hit uh, 110 Friday and Saturday and 106 yesterday downtown. It was 108 Friday and Saturday and 103 yesterday. And then about 9, 9.30 last night, those storms rolled through. And that pretty much brought an end to the, uh, the, the triple-digit heat for now. It looks like we're going to see more seasonal temperatures as we move on through this week. But... Uh, it's not great when you don't have any air conditioner and it's still, you know, in the 80s and 90s outside. It can still be pretty rough as a result. Now, did we get much rain overall? I don't seem to have gotten a lot. Uh, I talked with uh, Tim Fletcher. He said in Cachada, man, it rained It rained steady and, and heavy for a while. But in Shreveport, yeah. where I was, we didn't seem to get a whole lot. Yeah, the numbers I'm seeing so far, it looks like about six-tenths of an inch of rain fell uh, at uh, the uh, airport uh, last night when the storms rolled through there, and about 0.57 was the other amount I saw at the downtown airport. So about a half an inch of rain fell across downtown Shreveport when the storms rolled through last night. But, you know, it just depended on exactly where you were in relationship to those storms with that front rolling through last night on on who were the, the greater recipients of the rain and who wasn't. Now you said we getting we're getting a reprieve. I noticed this week the nineties and low nineties, but then looks like the triple digits are coming back next week. Yeah, probably after Labor Day. The way things are looking right now, it looks like uh, we'll get close to a hundred degrees on Labor Day, and then uh, we've probably got about another four or five uh, triple digit days coming up. I was uh, crunching the numbers to see how many we've had so far this year. Uh, at uh, Shreveport Regional, we've had 29 triple-digit days. Wow. 17, 17 of those have been 105 or greater. And at the downtown airport, we've had 25 days of triple-digit heat with 11 of those 105 or greater. So it has been one bullish, hot summer in regards to the uh, triple-digit days that we've seen. And we got at least five or six more that we'll deal with next week as the heat makes a return. Um, you know, the only hope that we can get uh, in regards to maybe some more significant moisture is going to be with a tropical system. Uh, the, 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 the models are kind of hinting around that there may be something late next week that tries to make a run toward uh, the central Louisiana coast uh, about 
10 days from now. But that's still kind of out there in the, you know, in the realm of voodoo in regards to, uh, you know, whether or not we're going to see something or not. I think we've got to get this first system out of the way with Adelia. And then I think we'll get a better handle on exactly what the next system may actually do if we see a tropical system or not as a result. Is it an old wives' tale that if you have extreme temperatures during the summer, very, very hot, that that means we're going to have an equally as extreme winter? Well, you know, the thing is right now is that we, you know, we're kind of going into uh, an El Nino phase of the, uh, of, the, of the weather right now. You know, and that usually means for us is that we're going to be dealing with, you know, a mild, wet type of winter that would be coming up as a result. You know, so I'm kind of leaning toward the, the fact that we may actually have, you know, some mild, you know, some mild weather coming up. You know, we may get some, you know, colder blast in here that may last a week or two as we get, you know, into the winter time. But right now, everything's kind of pointing to, you know, a weather that's going to be at or above average. And then, you know, the chances for, you know, better opportunities for rain coming in as we kind of tap the subtropical jet that would bring, you know, system after system in that would bring us, you know, increasing rain chances as we get toward the winter. So I think the the hope is, is that, you know, as we get toward wintertime, we'll start to see better chances for rain and not as cold of temperatures that we would normally see in a normal winter. Richard, you say we have, we're talking with Richard Llewellyn with the Weather Channel. We had 29 days of triple digit temperatures. Is this setting any type of record? It's, you know, it's getting kind of up there, especially with the number of days that we've had over 105 or greater. You know, those are the, those are the ones that are just, you know, you know, when you have 17 of those, you know, and we've, we're getting pretty close to all time records in regards to, uh, the, you know, the amount of days. I mean, we had, you know, two days where we had temperatures 110 degrees at Shreveport Regional Airport. That's kind of unheard of. You know, and I think that may be, uh, we may be dealing with some all-time record high temperatures for those locations. I haven't dug through the records yet to see if we actually hit that th- that threshold yet. Uh, but I think that's something that we're going to be looking at the days ahead once we kind of, you know, kind of get a little bit of a break from all the triple-digit heat, kind of look back to see exactly if this is one of our hottest summers on record in Shreveport in regards to the amount of days that we have seen these extreme temperatures because this is one for the record books for sure i was talking to some friends last night at a at a birthday party and they were kind of laughing about the fact that you know we hit a record there, there was a 108 degree day for that date and it was a record and the they re- had read an article that talked about going all the way back into like the <laughs> the late 1800s and they were still doing like 108 and they, the article said that they were talking about global warming way back then even. In the 18, <laughs> late 1800s, we were just kind of laughing about that. Yeah, you know, and, you know, and that's the thing about it. A lot of, you know, uh, we, we know that the climate is, war- is warming as a result. You know, we just don't know exactly how much man's influence is actually playing a role in it. You know, I mean, is this kind of a, uh, uh, you know, the climate just doing what it normally does, or is there some type of man-made component associated with it? You know, it's going to take a lot of years, I think, to kind of actually nail that down. But, you know, uh, it's been a hot summer, you know, that's, you know, in in the Mid-South. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, we normally see this in the summertime, nothing really out of the ordinary. 
one of the things that kind of is out of the out of the ordinary right now, though, is uh, when we got the uh, uh, the report on the drought monitor on Thursday, they talked about the potential of a flash drought that's going to be developing over most of Louisiana and Texas just due to the dry conditions that they've been dealing with for weeks on end, you know, and it looks like uh, there's going to be, you know, the significant or extreme drought concerns that are going to be developing across the Arklatex into East Texas in the days ahead and with no real significant rain chances on the horizon all the way out to at least September 10th. Uh, this could be a long, hot, dry spill that we continue to deal with in the days ahead as well. Wonderful. Well, we'll keep on top of it. Uh, Richard, thanks for your time. Thank you. Have a good morning. You too, sir. Richard Lowelling with the Weather Channel. Micah McCarty with Lewis R. Avalone in studio. One of- Back to the big stories of the day with Micah McCarty on 1017 FM and 710 Kiel. Well, first of all, Lewis, we we jumped right in with the weather because of the storm last night. Hey, rain is big news. (laughs) It is big news these days. Uh, My wife, before we went to bed, she was like, I hope we get some rain, you know, because how many times have we seen... you know, potential weather moving in and then it just blows around us. And you know what I was noticing too, and you know, the grass doesn't seem to be growing. Oh, absolutely. Of course, it turns, you know, not that bright shade of green. But during this heat, you don't, it doesn't get as tall. Oh, yeah. I I did end up mowing Saturday morning um, because I haven't for so long. And I, but I did raise the mower up a little bit because you're not supposed to mow it real short when it's so hot and dry because you'll let, you'll kill it. Um, but I, I did get that done. But I don't know that we got a lot of rain. We didn't get much. So a lot I was kind of that... disappointed. Uh, apparently, there were some there's some pretty substantial winds. Richard said 60, what do you say, 60, 50, 60 mile an hour yeah, winds? Yeah, it was some pretty tough winds. I slept through the whole thing, so I don't know. <laughs> you must have gone to bed early. I went to bed super early. I have to, when Aaron's gone, I have to do the news and play, <laughs> so I have to be here extra early. Right. Yeah, but uh, yeah, God, God had to give us something after that jerk move I pulled on Friday when I came in and said, "Hey, look, guys, it's raining." Oh, yeah, <laughs> that was so funny. Scott Hughes came in and, and I told you we were talking about these Trump indictments. This is off the air, sure, sure, and uh, and and it didn't get heated at all by any means. But you know, we were talking about that, and Ruben came back into the studio and he goes, "Y'all are gonna believe this? It's raining." <laughs> it's just, we were like, "What? What? What?" Everybody, you should have seen the looks on their faces. It was so exciting. Yeah, I know. And then they saw that I was, you know, just being a jerk. Yeah. But you know, as the rain was coming down, it seemed like everyone, at least on social media, you know, they were certainly very happy. But that happiness turned to somewhat anger when the power went out. Our our power did go out, not, not five minutes into... Uh, the thunder and lightning and the you know the rain started coming. It did it a little after nine o'clock. I saw it was still up, and we've got Michael Corbin with Swepco from because I was checking the Swepco site, and uh, I mean over twenty thousand people are still without power this morning. Well, there's uh, a lot of folks uh, saying they want to call Foster Campbell, their public service commissioner, uh, to get some answers. They're not very happy with Swepco. And I know Michael Corbin, uh, I know Swepco 
is doing all that they can. Right. Because there's still limbs from the previous severe storm that we had a few months ago. I've got two huge ones that I, I, I told my wife, I said, we got to look at somebody coming in and getting those down. I didn't look this morning. So there are a lot of there's a lot of pre-existing damage that when you get 50 mile an hour winds like we had last night, it's going to knock more trees, you know, more limbs down. Yeah, because which is going to cause problems. Exactly. I mean, I had some broken limbs that were still caught that are still caught That's, yes, in the trees. That's same here. From the last storm. Right. So, but I didn't really see much that came down last night. And when I when I came when I opened the door this morning uh, as I was leaving, uh, we have some stuff on the porch got blown around pretty and and there was stuff in this drive like well it did get kind of severe then there was some pretty strong winds in 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 my area you know and a lot of folks say why don't we just bury the lines bury the lines and then we don't have to worry about it and michael corbin with aep swepco you know he made a very good point he said okay that's fine but when you have a break in the line or there's a short or there's some penetration of that line underground you don't always know where that is yeah, and you have right. to end up digging up a lot more of the area well, around it in but, order to get to the area you need to repair rather than just having the lines overhead. And there are still going to be lines overhead that have to power in to get to those underground lines. I mean, uh, there, there's no ideal situation. Yeah, underground would be better for a lot of the a lot of the source, but. And and there's I forget what he said last time we I learned I, obviously I didn't learn uh, what he was calling some of those lines not transmission lines but there were different distribution different lines distribution yeah there you go uh, but we'll talk to him coming up at six forty one hundred one seven FM back with more of Mike and McCarty on one hundred one seven FM and seven ten Keel. We're going to talk more about this in the 7 o'clock hour, but you were in Baton Rouge recently. I was on Saturday at the uh, State Republican uh, Convention. It's just absolutely fantastic. Now, yes, we did hear from all the usual, well, I say the usual, the statewide candidates running for elected office, Jeff Landry, uh, Liz Merle, John Fleming, John Fleming uh, running for Treasurer, mm-hmm. uh, Liz Morrow running for Attorney General, uh, Billy Nungesser uh, running for uh, Lieutenant Governor, and Jeff Landry, of course, running for Governor. For Governor. Uh, the keynote speaker was Fox News uh, host uh, Jason Chavitz. And what an inspirational story he had that he shared with the those that were in attendance. Mm-hmm. And basically, you know, he, he told the story of of how his life has been a series of tragedies, some very highs and some very lows. And what was inspirational about it was he said, you know, that's my story, but it's your story too. We've all, everyone in this room, everyone in our audience is going through something. They've experienced the very highs and they've experienced the very lows. But what's important is to just keep moving forward to not give up, to always keep the faith, to always be hopeful. And uh, anyway, it was a really great message yeah. uh, for, for the group because, you know, in this election year, it's very easy to just 
give up and go, nothing's ever going to change. Why pay attention? Why bother getting involved? You can't have that attitude. It's not how many times you you fall down. It's how many times you get up. Yeah, absolutely. Unless it's a sobriety test, then it's... <laughs> then that's not a good thing. But with Jeff Landry, uh, you know, he gave a great rousing speech. But, you know, I I noticed with Jeff, I I got to speak with him for a few minutes, but I noticed that his entourage, I should say, the group, uh, the folks around him, you know, are ushering him in and out of events now a little more, how might I say, aggressively. You know, it's it's almost as if he is governor. You know, because when the governor comes to town and he's going to an event or he's at an event you know the state police is state police are there mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know they're ushering him in and out i, I kind of got that feeling with jeff you know with respect to it's getting more serious mm-hmm. i think you know and again it's not a foregone conclusion that he will be the next governor no, but absolutely not but at the same time you know his competitors don't break five percent all of their support combined don't meet Jeff's numbers. All of the monies that his competitors, uh, uh, Republican and Democrat, combined don't meet the fundraising numbers that Jeff has had. So, you know, there's a lot of folks uh, that want to say, you know, Jeff's not the right guy. Or, but boy, there's there's plenty who recognize his experience and that he, as I believe, is the right guy you know i was talking with a friend of mine last night i was telling you about uh we were at a a a friend's birthday party and uh my my friend he's very he's very active he works for uh a high-ranking political i don't want to give any names but he was saying you know the democrats are very good at elections and the republicans not so much and and we'll I I can get into more depth. We've got to take a break. We've got Michael Corbin standing by with Swepco. Um, we've got to, you know, a prime example is Vitter and Risponi. You know, from the the last election, Republicans don't rally. Uh, you know, we're more of an independent thinking party, if that makes sense. Which is. A good thing. It's a good thing. Obviously. No, no, no. That's what I mean. It, yeah, but it's, it's but it's the nature of the beast. We don't circle the wagons necessarily around a single candidate, like like the Democrats are good at doing, right or wrong. Exactly. We'll talk about more about that coming up in the seven o'clock hour. Uh, uh, Michael Corbin with Swepco next. Let's get back to the show with Mike and McCarty on 1017 FM and 710 Kiel. On the Jack Spring Electric Newsmaker Hotline this morning, graciously accepting my call early this morning, Michael Corbin with Swepco. Michael, good morning. Good morning, Mike. How are you? I'm doing well. We got uh, we lost power when the storm started just a little after nine o'clock. Um, and I didn't realize the storm when we were talking with Richard Llewellyn earlier this morning. Uh, we had some pretty severe winds, didn't we? Yeah, we we really did. And and I think um, and he probably told you when you introduce cold rain to hundred degree temperatures, that just is a wind maker and. Uh, as as advertised, that's really what blew through. And uh, I'm looking at at the Swepco website now. You you're still showing over twenty thousand people 
without power. Is that still uh, pretty accurate? That's right. As of 630, we've got a little over 24,000 out, uh, with the majority of that being in Louisiana. And it's pretty well split between what we call our Shreveport district, which is Stonewall North, uh, basically northwest Louisiana, and our Valley district, which is Stonewall going down to uh, the Leesville area. I mean, a lot of it's is uh, f- far south of us, going down to uh, what uh, Melrose and yep. down below Natchitoches. Yep. Yeah, yeah, and and there's a combination when you get Natchitoches south. Uh, we've had extra crews down there, and and all the crews working 24-7 because there's been so many wildfires, and they're down there protecting our equipment. And, and if if uh, a fire has damaged anything, getting that replaced and getting people's power back on. So there's a lot going on in our world right now. Right. How many in Shreveport are, are still without power? About 10,500 right now in Shreveport, and it appears that um, – it's pretty well scattered across the city anywhere there's trees, certainly, uh, because most of this is, is wind-slash-tree damage. Uh, the largest concentrations right now appear to be uh, North Shreveport in the MLK area where the, the storm first made contact. And then there's a pretty large outage uh, in southeast Shreveport uh, around the LSUS area. And people uh, can always check the Swepco app. Do you guys keep that updated? Yes. If you've, if you've not downloaded our app, please download it to get up-to-date information. Uh, that app can, can produce information faster than I can provide it uh, and, and also provide you with restoration times. Uh, this is not a storm like we saw back in mid-June or the one in mid-July where right. people are going to be, be without power for you know, over a week, uh, this will get wrapped up fairly quickly. And now that the sun's coming up, we can get more crews out there and um, begin to remove trees and limbs and make repairs. And and a, a, I know a lot of power came back on, uh, you know, 3, 4 a.m. Yeah, that's and, when mine uh, came on was about 4.15. Yeah, and, and the, that's, those are good things. That's likely we just needed to replace a fuse or something like that. Mm-hmm. But, uh but, but the work will be starting here in the next 30, 45 minutes as crews can gather and get out and and uh, we assess where the damage is, what's going on, and and I would think this is going to get wrapped up pretty quick, weather dependent on you know what happens the rest of the day. Right. Do you know, uh, you may not know yet, if it, if it was any of the pre-existing storm damage that, you know, limbs that had been just kind of hanging yet? Uh, you know, I don't know that, but I would not be surprised at all because, you know, if you ride around town, there are still limbs hanging in trees mm-hmm. that were that were damaged in June and July. And the other thing is we have just gone so long without rain. Many of our trees are stressed, and it, and it did not take much wind uh, to tip them over last night. Michael Corbin with Swepco. Thanks for uh, talking with us so early. I appreciate your time, man. Thanks for having me, Mike. All right. Any talk time. to you soon. Bye-bye. Now more breaking news and trending talk with Mike and McCarthy on 1017 FM and 710 Keel. In studio, Aaron on vacation. 
Louis R. Abalone with American Ground Radio in studio with us this morning. Uh, again, thank you for Absolutely. appreciate your willingness to come in, and uh, I. I, I I applaud your your knowledge oh, on on uh, all things Republican Party, especially for the state of Louisiana. Well, you know, we I appreciate that. We Thank were you. talking off mic about um, the the national, you know, all of this garbage going on with Trump, which you know, I it's 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 just it's just a travesty. Well, it is. I, I understand. Look, he's of course he's a flawed candidate. There aren't any that aren't. But the timing of all of this, no, it's a very dangerous time in our nation's history, and we are in historic times. I believe that with all of my heart, and and if we normalize the prosecution of our political enemies. Where does that lead us down the road? Because then the next administration is going to do the same. You know, there's a lot of folks that say as Republicans, we need to fight back. We need to return to the Democrats the same type of actions that they have foisted upon us. And and when I say us, I don't, this isn't a Republican thing. This isn't a Democrat thing. This is... This isn't about our American republic. This is about the integrity of our elections and the freedom of speech. If you look at this indictment or the series of indictments uh, from Georgia, the judge has basically said that if President Trump, and I'm not quoting the indictment directly, but in general terms, if he does anything to call his supporters to action— or otherwise incite them in some way. And this indictment is so vague with respect to the wording of that. Right? How in the world can a presidential candidate run for office without calling his supporters to action? <laughs> You've got to get, yes. I mean, we're talking about silencing your political enemies. And that's what this administration has done. And I know a lot of folks say, wait a minute, these are state charges. These are state it's all being done with the blessing of the all, Department of Justice, the Biden Department of Justice, and the FBI. And how many times have we heard all politics are local? Mm-hmm. All politics are local, and you have to you have to call your base to action, to become involved, to to campaign for you, to to uh, to go vote. You have to be. You have to call him to action. We, I know we got to. We're up against the clock. But uh, Louis R. Avalone in studio. Mike and McCarty. One hundred one seven FM. Seven. One hundred one seven FM. Seven ten Keel. Mike and McCarty with Lewis R. Abalone in studio for the vacationing Aaron McCarty. And uh, we're talking with uh, Kettle Parish Sheriff Candidate Eric Hetfield joining us. Eric, good morning. First good morning. of all, thanks for coming in. Thank you for having me. Yes. You made the comment on, uh, I saw a, a, a 
an, an interview that you or a video you posted that you said you wanted to do things differently in the Caddo Parish Sheriff's Office. Not that the current sheriff is doing anything wrong, but you wanted to do some things differently. What What are some things you want to do differently? Thank you. Yes, that is a good question. The one of the things I would do if elected as sheriff is I would I would kind of I guess somewhat revamp the jail. I would use a lot of the uh, current inmates that are in the jail that maybe have a profession as far as maybe they're a car mechanic or whether they're accountant or whatever their profession is, take some of these younger individuals that are in there. While they're in there doing their time, I'll use, the, use these more experienced inmates that have a, have a trade or a skill set rather than these individuals going back on the street and doing the exact same thing, selling drugs, kind of teach them a trade and get them, you know, let them do something that, uh, that makes them a productive citizen rather than a habitual offender. Now, you're currently uh, Caddo Parish Constable, is that correct? I was elected Caddo Parish Constable for 12 years, and I'm a dep- uh, Deputy Constable in Caddo Parish now. Okay. Now, did you w- did you work with the Caddo Parish Sheriff's Department? We did. We, I worked with the Caddo Parish Sheriff's Office, street-level narcotics, pretty much every segment of the Sheriff's Office, and they were great to work with. The good deputies at Caddo Parish Sheriff's Office do a fantastic job, and I learned more on the streets working with them for the past, for around 18 years than I, you know, and, and I truly appreciate now, that. Now, were you a Caddo Parish deputy? No, so I worked I, as a deputy constable, then as an elected okay. constable, and as a deputy again. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, Eric, uh, of course, being uh, the top law enforcement uh, officer in the parish, the sheriff, what more can the sheriff do to combat crime? I mean, you only have, what, 43 patrol uh, deputies uh, out on the streets. A lot of folks have looked to the sheriff's office to, at times to supplement Shreveport Police Department. Is that a possibility or what can be done better to combat crime in our parish, in our city? Well, rather than say better, I, I do think that Steve Plater did a good job with crime. And so to do things differently, what I would do is I would focus on, I would focus our efforts on not just staying inside the parish, Cattle Parish, but we also have jurisdiction within the city, which lies within the parish. So what I would do is I would, we would, I would take our, some of our best officers as far as tactical officers and teams, and between 8 o'clock at night and maybe 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning when most crimes or violent crimes are likely to occur, I would take our deputies and put some of our deputies out there working with the Shreveport Police Department so that there's a larger presence. And then I would, use, I, would, I would utilize our auxiliaries and reserve deputies for a lot of these neighborhoods that have very little crime in Caddo Parish. And so I would try to spread, the, uh, you know, spread our deputies out, work, more, work closely with other law enforcement agencies so it can be a team effort to try to stop the violent, not necessarily stop the violent crime, but definitely put a dent in it. Now, you've, you've run for Caddo Parish Sheriff before. What, 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 what has made you want to be Sheriff of Caddo Parish? One, I was born and raised in Caddo Parish. I, so many people leave Caddo Parish for, the, for reasons just like what we're discussing, for crime, and because it's not, it's not necessarily the safest place to be. But in my mind, it, you know, as far as my family is concerned, we don't want to leave. We have family here. We have friends here. We, we love Shreveport. We love Caddo Parish. And you just have to do the very best you can to make things better where you are because the grass isn't always green on the other side. So I want to stay here, stick this out, make it work, and make Caddo Parish a safer place. And I have three boys, and I have two daughters, and, and I just um, I have a lot invested in this community, and I want to stay here, and I want to make it a better place to live. Now, we know Henry Whitehorn is uh, one of the candidates. Uh, the chief of police in Greenwood. Shane Gibson. Shane Gibson. And um, um, uh, John Nicholson. John Nicholson. 
what separates you from all of these other candidates? So I would definitely say that, you know, you can't say that um, that Chief Whitehorn, that's how I refer to him. So Chief Whitehorn, you can't say he doesn't have experience because he has a ton of experience and a very nice gentleman. So good law enforcement officer. And Gibson, uh, same thing, a good law enforcement officer. As far as bringing a city councilman into the mix, I think there's a big difference in, in, in practicing civil law and being being an attorney than, than going out on the streets and, and trying, you know, and, and solving a crime issue. Now, we, we asked Sheriff Prater uh, when he's been in here before. He's a, a, a friend of the show, if you will. And he was saying, you know, actually, as far as the position of sheriff, a large part of it is more administration. He says he has more deputies in the jail than he does on patrol. He has more deputies that serve warrants. They The larger part of the department is is you know assigned to other things other than just out on patrol so how would you how would you what are your qualifications to run the jail and to you know run the warrants and, and run the department one because I've, I've spent 18 years on the streets working with street level narcotics from both Shreveport and Caddo I've, I've worked in every in aspects I've I mean I've um, apprehended a, a a serial killer I mean I've, I've done many drug cases traffic stops all these things that would entail you know being working with other officers and understanding what other officers need want and, and do on a daily basis i mean someone who has zero law enforcement experience it doesn't matter i mean it's if you have zero law enforcement experience and you go in to run and you 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 expect all these deputies to to look to you for advice or guidance or leadership it's hard to respect someone who's never done the job and, and so for any of the candidates you know the cattle parish sheriff's office has a budget of over 40 million dollars shouldn't the voters look at the requisite qualifications of each candidate to manage that much money i mean as well as their law enforcement experience well i don't believe that the sheriff himself if he was sitting was sitting over tell you that he that he manages he oversees this but he also has good people that he that he trusts to handle the budgetary issues of the Cattle Parish Sheriff's Office. I think one of the greatest, one of the best things or most positive attributes for, a, for an actual good, effective leader is to delegate tasks that you're not necessarily professional at, at doing so. So if you, were, if you were to be elected sheriff, would you, so to speak, make um, you know, sweeping changes in the department uh, well, among the leadership? Actually, I'd rather use a lot of the resources that currently exist within the Cattle Parish Sheriff's Office. The people that have done this every single day, that this is their livelihood, this is what they love to do. I don't want to take these people out and put them somewhere else or displace them. I want to continue to use them and hope that they'll do the same good job for me that they've done for Sheriff Prater. So you would say to folks who say law enforcement, I guess, well, let me back up. Would you say law enforcement experience is the number one criterion for voting for sheriff or i guess where would you rank that 100 percent law enforcement the, our, our most the, our, the the most concerning issue within cattle parish is violent crime and i will i will be as, she, as sheriff prater said himself i'll be tough on crime but i will be tough on real crime i'm not going to focus on people with dime bag offenders or people that have that have warrants for driving under suspension i want to focus on the people that are hurting our children that are killing each other that are just that are simply a nuisance that and it's become deadly that's where my focus will be eric hatfield candidate for caterpillar sheriffs thank you for coming in this morning appreciate your time thank you all so much for having me i truly appreciate it It it's an honor being here all right thank you sir 101 
back with more of Mike and McCarty on 1017 FM and 710 Kiel. One hundred one seven FM seven ten Keo Mike and McCarty Aaron on vacation this week. Louis R. Avalone graciously accepting uh, my invitation to come in uh, most of this week. Um, last week we had more. <laughs> I'm not going to say more um, to light with our Shreveport City Council Chairman James Green. Uh, Shreveport Police released the body cam footage of a traffic stop from June. And a lot of people are asking the questions, why does our Shreveport City Councilman have a badge and a commission card from the City Marshal's office? And why does he have a patch from the Louisiana State Police sewn onto his wallet? And why did... Both of those law enforcement agencies instruct him not to explain to another law enforcement officer why he has that badge, why he has that patch, because that's what he said. He said, they said, this is a direct quote from Councilman Green, they said that when it was given to me, I didn't have to explain why I had it. It's there because I'm a certain person. Yeah. And, and and that's that's on the video. You can hear him tell the officer, let me explain something to you. I mean, Mike, you're a well-known personality in our community. Can you imagine telling a police officer, no. uh, do you know who I am? Because that's what Councilman Green basically told the, the officers. In fact, he told the officers to get Chief Wayne Smith to come to this traffic stop. Right. And when the police officer, one of the police officers says, no, he he probably won't make it. Councilman Green said, oh, no, he will. He will. He didn't say, oh, well, he might, or I hope he does. He said, oh, he will. Now, of course, you know, that he that may be his bravada that he's speaking. But again, it's, it's an indication of influence that he or intimidation some might say that he's exerting over these Shreveport police officers trying to do their jobs and by the way I want to applaud the officers in that video they could not have been more congenial more cordial more professional and, and you know in and in a time were... yeah in a time where Shreveport police officers have been criticized uh, to a great degree, as racist, as racial profiling, etc. You look at that. You look at that video, and you tell me. You tell me how those officers. Now, look. I understand. There's good officers. There's bad officers. Right. Those were some good police officers. These were young officers, and they. You know, there were three white officers, and Reverend Green made the comment from the city council chamber last week that he felt he was pulled over because he was black. And by the way, if you're you're being pulled over because the windows in your vehicle are so darkly tinted that it violates the law, how exactly did those police officers know you were black? <laughs> Whether he was white or how black. How can you see through that tinting mm -hmm. of the windows in order to tell 
whether white, black, whatever it may have been. We reached out to the Louisiana State Police late last week on Friday morning uh, and asking about this this patch that Councilman Green right. has yeah. sewn onto the outside of his wallet that's clearly a Louisiana State Police patch. Um, you know, and, and uh, one of the Major Cordell Williams said those are issued along with a card. They're kind of an honorary but they have no there's no authority assigned to them and he said and they are certainly he said we and I'll quote what what uh, major william said we do not anyone to use the card or the patch to gain any type of advantage or favors okay that's from the sh- state police that's from the state police now marshal james jefferson you all, we also you reached also out to reached James out to Jefferson. Him. We also reached out to the marshal. And he replied that he was unaware that Councilman Green had this commission. So the question is, was there an expiration date on this commission? He uh, apparently, allegedly received it from the previous okay. city marshal. Um, and, and the current city marshal said, uh, and I quote, he had no authority to flash a badge during a traffic stop. Right, but the current marshal, Marshal James Jefferson, James Jefferson, he should be concerned about individuals having commission cards from his office because he is responsible for the deputy marshals that have those commission cards from his office. I was speaking with a criminal attorney on the let's see, criminal attorney on Friday, and this attorney said city marshals of course have arrest and they have some investigatory authority. The question is, was James Green trying to use his position with, uh, uh, with that badge to gain, to extract special or favorable um, treatment from those police officers? I mean, because would any it of certainly his... certainly appears that way. Would any of his constituents be granted the type of privilege that he was because he happened to have a badge. And that badge is an honorary commission. It holds no authority but that, with, that, the, with the city marshal's office. But here's what's troubling about that. And about 10 years ago, there was a city, there was a city marshal candidate that raised this issue because city marshal Charlie Caldwell had issued several of these badges to local pastors. The question is, is there any record today of who got those badges, who received those commissions, whether there's an expiration date on it whatsoever. Right. And was Councilman Green impersonating a police officer? Good questions. We'll hopefully get some answers. Mike and McCarty with Lewis R. Avalone in studio, 1017. Back with more of Mike and McCarty on 1017 FM and 710 Keel. Last night, what uh, around nine o'clock or whatever, had a had a storm move through the Arklatex, moved through Shreveport, Bossier. Um, heard some thunder boomers, and then like nine o'clock, I heard the rain start, and then like nine o three, boom, power went out. Wow. <laughs> God, I, I missed the whole thing. I slept through all of it. I, I woke up this morning and looked at my phone, and it was nothing but people videoing the rain on, on Facebook. It was just rain videos. I know. And people going, hallelujah, thank I, you, Jesus. You could hear. 
from the lawns. <laughs> well, no, I mean, you heard it, the wind blowing, you heard the rain, and all of a sudden, you know, when it first started, my wife and I looked at each other like, what is going on? Is this the apocalypse? You know, what's going, we had to go look and look out the window because, you know, we... Yes, we know what rain sounds like, but it's been a while. It's been a while, yeah. Um, I, I have some. I have some pretty significant limbs from the previous storm. Uh, you know, pecan trees are self pruning; they're they're just notorious right, right. for losing. And uh, so, I, there's some limbs that are hanging from the last storm, and I I just couldn't go out this morning <laughs> and look in the backyard. Uh, there are no power lines in our backyard, but we've got fences and people have storage sheds all around us and stuff. So I got to look and see if any of those fell. But yeah, absolutely. You know, and the rain is, yes, it's good for our lawns and plants and all those good things, right? Lowering the temperature, but also the foundations of people's homes. Oh, absolutely. Because yes. when the ground gets too dry around your foundation, that's when a lot of folks see cracks. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll see, or if you've had cracks, they become more prominent. Uh, so this is a good thing too, you know, because that can be very expensive to repair. I've heard, yeah, I've heard people that water around their home, around their foundation, even soaker hoses to keep you know, keep that very thing from happening. So you went to the um, Republican, was it the Republican convention? It was a Republican state uh, convention down in Lafayette at the Cajun Dome. All right. Lots of folks. I want to talk about that after the break. Yeah, you got you a break? Bet. And then I want to hear about uh, some of the folks that you talked to and some of the things that were said. We'll talk about that next. Louis R. Avalone in for the vacationing Aaron McCarty, Mike and McCarty. Let's get back to the show with Mike and McCarty on 1017 FM and 710 Kiel. Lewis R. Avalone from American Ground Radio joining us in studio. Aaron McCarty on vacation this week. Lewis, you were just in Baton Rouge? Yeah, absolutely. For the State Republican Convention? Heard from uh, several of the uh, statewide uh, candidates. You know, I think the secretary, we talked earlier about the uh, the governor's race. Uh, Liz Merle was there running for attorney general. Uh, Billy Nuncaster running for lieutenant governor. And Liz Merle's been working in the attorney general's office for the past several years. Yes, as the solicitor general. Jeff Landry named her as the uh, solicitor general, mm-hmm. first solicitor general uh, of Louisiana. And, you know, the secretary of state's office or the secretary of state uh, position is still who's the front runner there you know mike francis has been endorsed by the state republican party uh but you also have nancy landry who is the deputy uh secretary of state under kyle the a incumbent uh kyle ardwan i don't know if he's he is the incumbent but he's not running for re-election of course right right uh you know there's also uh brandon trosclair uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, this race, I don't know, for a lot of folks, uh, it may come down to who's in favor of paper ballots. Because Brandon Trosclair, great guy, by the way, he's in favor. I mean, that's his that's his campaign. I mean, he's got other things, other opinions about matters. But uh, basically, 
paper ballots is what he's advocating for. Now, the other candidates, the other two candidates, they are not in favor of paper ballots. Nancy Landry uh, is says that we do need to buy new election machines. You know, that was kind of derailed uh, during COVID because Secretary Ardwan was in the process of issuing uh, the the requisition for that or the uh, the bid for that. Mm-hmm. That was kind of affected by COVID. But she said that as Secretary of State, if she is elected, that is going to be her number one priority. And basically, she's talking about uh, voting machines that are electronic that allow the speed and the accuracy of of a machine at the same time producing a paper audit or a paper trail so that you'll be given basically a receipt for your vote and it can all the votes can always be audited um, I think Mike Francis uh, who is a public service commissioner Louisiana public service commissioner down in the Lafayette area from the Lafayette area uh, he's also in favor of the electronic voting machines uh, as well as many of the registrar voters across our state uh, they're also in favor of and clerks of and clerks of court that they're mm-hmm. also in favor of of using the electronic uh, machine. So mm-hmm. anyway, you we know, haven't really had issues though in Louisiana, have we, with the machines? Well, there's uh, there's certainly uh, there's groups of folks out there that will tell you that there have been issues. Although I, I'm not familiar with the specifics of those issues, but one of the reasons, and this is well, a little bit of inside baseball, so to speak. One of the reasons I am told that Kyle Ardwan decided not to run for re-election was that it was demonstrated to him how easily our voting machines could be hacked by nearly, well, any semi-proficient mm-hmm. uh, computer hacker. And uh, he had been going. He had been going around the state saying how safe or how secure our right. voting systems right. were. And he just, and that was one of the reasons they say he didn't run for re-election. We're going to take a break. We'll, uh, I want to follow up on that after the break. 101.7. Now more breaking news and trending talk with Mike and McCarty on 101.7 FM and 710 Kiel. We're talking about the, the voting machines. Louis R. Avalone in for the vacationing Aaron McCarty. Uh, you know... Huge issue nationwide, I think, with trust in the in our electorate in our, our uh, election system. Um, but I've been real comfortable, Lewis, with with voting. You know, in in especially in our district in in Louisiana, uh, we just haven't heard of huge issues. Um, obviously, there are going to be some issues. I mean, you know, machines malfunctioning or. Uh, but but it, as a general rule, yeah, they're old. the The machines are old. But I, I I've got I've got confidence in in our system in Louisiana. Well, and I think a lot. And, of, and, and is that misplaced confidence? There are some folks that would say absolutely. And again, this is one of the reasons I am told that Secretary of State Kyle Ardwan decided not to run for reelection because he had talked about how the system could not be hacked by outside 
But if they're not connected online, the machines are not connected to the Internet at all. How can they, I guess, after when they're collecting the votes? Well, and I know those folks insist that that is absolutely the case. And, And that may be at certain instances through the process where it's not connected to the internet Mm -hmm. but at some point that information does get transmitted sure electronically and you know and again that as it was explained to me there was a demonstration uh kyle artwan spent several hours watching in person a demonstration by a computer hacker while Carl Ardwan was in communication with his own office mm-hmm. back in Baton Rouge, and he was watching the numbers change, the totals change, as a result of what this hacker was doing right before his eyes. So that's, and again, I don't have a wow. great Did number of that. details with respect to that, but that is uh, as it. And it's, that's been related to me by, by more than one person. I know Sean Hannity is a huge advocate of paper ballots. Is that the right way to go? Well, there's a lot of folks say that will take forever. And, of course, candidates like Brandon Trosclair, who says, no, that won't take that long. We'll still be able to get our results. So we've got to get back to, especially like on a national level, we need the results how why has that changed we need the results on election night oh well because you know sometimes there's a water main break as there was in fulton (sighs) county georgia which by the way there wasn't there was not arizona there was a water leaks well and there was a water leak that was in a completely different facility that was not where the votes were being counted uh, there's a whole lot of irregularity there. Remember, uh, there was a water leak. Then they sent everybody home in Fulton County and said, well, we'll start, we'll start counting the votes again in the morning, except oh, yeah. they didn't do that. After everyone left, after all of the observers, both uh, you know, Republican and Democrat observers left, and the media left, uh, of course, you saw with the cameras, they started counting the votes again. Louis R. Avalone, I know you've got to get to work. Thank you so much. Scott Hughes, we talked we talked with him on Friday about a lot of this city council stuff. You'll hear from him coming up after the news. Mike and McCarthy. FM, 710 Keel, Mike and McCarty in studio with Shreveport political analyst Scott Hughes joining us. Mm. Scott, this is now, we're we're ending a a week and a half of this. This heat, the heat. Yeah. (laughs) There's a lot of heat going on, Mike. There's a lot of heat, especially if you're in the council chairman's seat right now. Oh, that, Um, that heat. Yeah. Yeah. Is it is, is are we? It, has too much been made out of this, or not enough? Are we? Are we going to? Are we discovering things that that we didn't know? I, I think what we're finding out, and we'll go back to the famous political example, um, Watergate. You know, for those that remember Nixon and Watergate, um, in the end, you had something that happened. Okay, many will say not even necessarily that big of a deal in theory Mm -hmm. 
But the cover-up is what we know for Watergate. That's where everything happened. You know, once once they started covering it up and people started pointing fingers, that ended up taking a president down. Um, and I think that's kind of where we are. This is not the same issue of Watergate, obviously, but mm-hmm. we have something that happened. And, and, and I try to be fair, and it could have been an innocent mistake. It could have been a mistake where the chairman in this case was told he had the power. He believed he had the power. I think we're going to figure that out. But whatever took place, it is the events after that. That have gotten this thing out of control. You've the pre- got, you've the got press children. conference, the, the 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 people pointing fingers, the mm-hmm. he shed, the the partial documents, and I think we've reached a point now where I want to call it the quote cover up. I don't, although technically no one's trying to hide this took place, mm-hmm. but all the facts that are coming out afterwards are much worse than the initial incident. To well, me, that's to sure. Me. You've got kids, Aaron. You've got kids. Mm-hmm. I've I've told my kids, you look, you're going to mess up. Don't make it worse by lying about it. Well, and, if and, you mess up, fess up, and and take your medicine. And that's the most interesting part to me because again, I'm trying to be fair. We're all still learning in this situation. I don't know, you know, um, what we know completely yet. But in in a in a weird kind of way, Reverend Green, the chairman of the council, actually attempted a, a, a make good. He held a, he had his press conference. Mm-hmm. I think his intent. I'll go with his intent. I think his his intent was to say, hey. I made a mistake. I think that's another reason why this gets so weird in the politics side, because I think in his in his mind, he did attempt to say that he did attempt to hold this press conference and say, I screwed up. But in many regards, that may have just been more gas on the fire, because what was said has now also been further unproved. And and I think where it really got a little bad was. When the when the memo, Aaron, you did some wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I joke you should win the Les Nesman Hawkeye <laughs> Award for reporting. That's the old WKRP Les Nesman reference. But but I think when you started to break down um, with just simple paperwork, sure, the, the argument, a lot of the the paper argument fell apart. Um, and now there are a lot more Answer questions. Answer that to be for asked. me because if you have an ordinance that was passed when Jerry Bowman was chairman, ordinances when, have records. When James Flurry was chairman. And you have an ordinance that passed. It's typically two, three-page, four-page document, perhaps. And the document that Alan Jackson was waving around was the last page that said was signed by Bowman or signed by Flurry. Really wasn't even part of the ordinance. That would be the action item. Hey, we did this ordinance. And here's the four-page ordinance we passed. Who pulled that fourth page off? And held it up to say this pay raises have been done before, and and tried to deceive us. I was it a know. council staffer? Was it a Alan Jackson? Was it Jer- you know James Green? That's what this investigation will show. It's not a one sheet you signed it, Mister Green, and we're going to find out who tried to deceive us. Well, and, and I think that's where it gets interesting because um, as, as I've tried to be quiet and watch this, mm-hmm. um, a, a couple of things have come to me that when you step back and you go, okay, one of the big question marks is if this was something that was needed to be done, that should be done, that we did with good faith, why were none of the council members informed? Why were we a month or two into this raise being implemented and yet no one knew? I think that's what created a lot of the confusion with the council. And in in the world of politics, if you're given a raise, everybody wants credit for that. Let everybody give that. And so the fact that it had not been shared is questionable. Um, If I remember correctly, um, one of the first actions that was requested, 
I believe by Councilman Jackson, was an opinion from the city attorney. Mm-hmm. And so they go to the city attorney, and the city attorney, I don't believe mince words. The city attorney was fairly clear in their legal opinion on the role of the council. So you had the legal counsel opinion just up front, which also tells me no one went to the city attorney. Mm-hmm. And so I can't, I don't take that as a, as, a, as a gospel truth fact, but it appears to me no one had asked the city attorney in this process what the, until that moment. Well, the city attorney was now on record. And now we get back to, now it's political. And, and I'm not going to say there's a legal aspect. I'm not a lawyer. I don't know what's going to happen. But now we get back to politics. And um, I was thinking when you called me yesterday to come out, you know, what's, what's the big lesson here right now going forward? And the word that keeps coming up to my mind is trust. Mm-hmm. I think that we've reached a point, and we've all listened to interviews that have been on your show. Um, I think some of the council persons have gone on other shows, American mm-hmm. Ground Radio. I heard several council persons on keeping it live, keeping it real mm-hmm. um, with Alan Oliver um, yesterday afternoon. And so you keep listening to these interviews, and you keep going, the trust is broken. Yes. And the best I can tell now, politically, we have a seven-person city council that's probably divided 3 two, 2 Mm-hmm. You know, it looks like we've got three council persons that they're still a, they they still work together. Um, still still a team. Seems like Jackson, Tabitha, um, Dr. Alan Jackson, Tabitha Taylor, and Reverend Reverend Green seem to be a little group of three that is together. You seem to now have two council persons um, that uh, that, have, that have separated themselves out on this issue, and then we still have the two Republican council persons mm-hmm. over here that kind of always been their own little pack of two: Talaferro and Grayson Butcher. And a three-two-two doesn't work. A three-two-two is not going to get you very often to four. Um, if it does, it's going to be a weird situation politically. Mm-hmm. But I don't know how they rebuild this trust. Can you stay with us? When we t- I want to talk about bullying when we get back. Sure. Okay. Scott Hughes in studio. Mike and McCarty. Back to the big stories of the day with Mike and McCarty on 1017 FM and 710 Kiel. Scott Hughes in studio, Mike and McCarty, 1017 FM, 710 Keel. Excuse me. I, I, I want to make a point real quick. Mm-hmm. When Ursula Bowman was in here, last last council meeting, uh, James Green took the microphone and went on for about 30 minutes and made himself the victim and said that, you know, there are many comments that he made that black people didn't cause the issues, white people caused all the issues. He went on saying that he didn't he was trying to bless these council staffers. Ursula Bowman finally made the statement, we need to step up and call point of order when he starts doing this. Because this isn't the first time he's taken control and gone off on on a tangent. Mm-hmm. And and I commended her, finally, finally, because we had said that before. Mm-hmm. Why doesn't somebody call point of order and and stop and stop this? Can you, Scott, by Robert's Rules of Order? Well, typically by Robert's Rules of Orders, you can call point of order, but under Robert's Rules of Orders, the chair right. runs the meeting. Right. Now, um, but if four get up and walk that's out. The key. Well, not get up and walk out. That's the key. If they get up and walk out, the meeting's over because you lose a quorum. But um, it is one tactic. But what happens is 
you can call point of order and the chair under Robert's rules has to make a ruling. Mm-hmm. And then Robert's rules allows you to challenge the ruling of the chair. So if the chair doesn't honor the rule, then you can challenge the ruling and now you get to a vote. Now the chair, and so it still would take four votes. That's the key. If they got mm-hmm. four votes, and I've heard the same thing. I've heard Miss Miss Bowman and I heard Gary Brooks say yesterday in yes. another media interview that maybe the time has come that we need to start doing a little more things formally and follow follow call the question. We've tried, and, 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 and I, I like what Mr. Brooks said. He said, you know, since I've got there, I've tried to really respect everybody. I've tried to give people some leadway, and we, you want to work together, he says, but maybe we've reached the time that we just need to stick to the rules and, you know, call points of order and move on. And that's back, this is where we ended a second ago, and you wanted to come back to a point, but it, it's trust what I kept looking at. Right. I think we have lost trust definitely among the seven council persons. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so whatever we think about the council, they definitely had a working trust. They were they were getting along for the most part, and this has blown that up. And some of the stories that have come out are ugly, to be honest, yes. politically. Um, I think I texted you um, the other day. I don't think I've seen anything this politically raw, that the public gets to actually get to peel back the curtain and see how politics really is done, because you're seeing a combination here both of um, – really power politics mm-hmm. you know and let, 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 let's be fair you don't vote for me i don't vote for you that's politics if you don't right. understand that you don't need to be in politics and that's but, what i was going to say this is nothing new it, that, that goes not, on daily that part's it goes not on new that you don't support me capital. i don't support you is not new right but there's been some elements of this have come out that go deeper than that that really really show this is going to be hard to rebuild this relationship what? and then you have the public's trust with the entity right. and that's what's that the probably the lowest mark let's right talk now. bullying Ursula Bowman comes on our show, says she feels bullied, intimidated. She cited an example of uh, Alan Jackson calling her and saying, we're not going to support anything in your district anymore. Um, Why did she do that? Why did she open the curtain, as you say, to to let us see inside that? Does she just want it out there? Is she trying to harm Alan Jackson or James Green? Or did she just want to get to the truth of what's really going on? Um, I, I've thought about that question a lot in the last couple of days. And the best answer I'd come up with is it's really a two-part answer. Number one, this is personal. Okay? This ended up involving her husband. When, um, and and I, I think it clearly shows that she hasn't been happy. That, that what's been going on behind the curtain has been bothersome to her. She's a new council person. Mm-hmm. She, she, um, and she seems she to be and Brooks a, both. She seems to be a lady of high integrity. She's not from this community. She's actually from South Louisiana and she's married up to here. Um, but I think she also takes that Bowman name seriously. She knew her, you know, knew her mother-in-law and she has seen, and she just was not going to let her husband be dragged into this, especially when he came and he said, I didn't do that. And then there was no apology. So I think some of this is personal that I'm going to stand up in my for my name, for my husband's name. And then the second part is, and, and this is sort of weird, but in politics, this is personal because this became about money. This is about salary. And there's a lot of things that a city can do. A city can perhaps not pave Knight Street for 10, 12 years. And, <laughs> and, and most citizens don't get really upset. If you live on Knight Street, you get upset. Mm-hmm. But most of us go, oh, that's the city being the city. That's government contracting. But when you get people raises, when, when, when you get people raises, it becomes personal for some reason. Everybody looks at their own paycheck. Everybody understands. They go, wait a second, I would never get that type of a raise. And so, for some weird reason, this specific issue is one of those ones that 
catches our attention and it becomes personal with the voters. And I believe Miss Miss Bowman, I believe Mr. Brooks, I believe all of the council members, they're getting pushback from their district because now their district's saying, A, how did this happen that we gave raises? And then B, you also have another, I don't know the city count today, but there's probably five hundred to a thousand city employees. How did four or five get a raise? And nobody else did, although they all just got a raise. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's before we get to where I, where I get now is the whole cover up, because now we get to this. Someone is going to be held accountable and the, the batons being passed around a lot. And I think from what I've seen so far, Miss Bowman and Mr. Brooks have stepped up and said, wherever the, the liability is going to fall, it's not on us. But we were also told several times the staff never asked for a raise. They never came to him and asked for a raise. And now we we're hearing that that's, that's not, not necessarily true. That's, that, mm. that may not be true. That one did ask for a raise, and then two more said, well, if they're getting a raise, we want a raise. And that's where you get back to my trust credibility issue, that, that, that whatever took place, it has been the post issues that have gotten worse because that was clear that was a statement that was clearly made and now that's in question i'll just say that because we haven't had the investigation i think miss bowman was pretty clear we don't want to take the investigation we right. want to let whoever's going to do that do their work but that's going to be one of the critical pieces you mentioned another one how was one page of this email this 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 previous action perhaps taken out of context you know, and as I mentioned earlier, was it taken out of context to Chairman Green? Did Chairman Green truly believe? Because one could be true, but then the second happened as well. And so the, 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 the quote cover up becomes the question here. The real question is, how does the council move forward? Um, and and yeah. that, that, that I don't know. This, right. this, is, this is a severely damaging thing for a small political body. This is the legislature. You have 144 members. There's only seven of them. The working majority is four. This mm-hmm. is going to take a while to heal, I think. Can you stay with us? I want to talk about um, whether or not there's malfeasance possibly here. But we have a short segment coming up, and I want you to tell me if LSU is going to win next weekend. Can we do that? Go Tigers. <laughs> Scott Hughes in studio, Mike and McCarty. 1017 Back with more of Mike and McCarty on 1017 FM and 710 Keel. Okay. I, I, you, if I say you have a neck, <laughs> is that offensive to you? No, my wife already told me. <laughs> yeah. What's going on? You're, are you Well, my wife and my kid are both on diets, which basically means there's they're <sighs> starving me to death along with them. <laughs> so, the other day, I'm, you know, doing house stuff and my wife comes up and she says, "Ruben, hop on the scale real quick." You have a neck now. Did you know that? <laughs> I haven't had a neck in a very long time, but yeah, I'm down. Uh, I guess at my heaviest, I was two sixty five, and now I'm now I'm two twenty at the end of the day with all my clothes on. Dude, so, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and I mean, it, and it's nothing more than her changing her eating habits and <laughs> and what she is or isn't bringing into the house. Yeah, right. I, yeah, she's not buying Oreos and stuff anymore. So if I want a snack, oh, I was telling you earlier, I got I, 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 I either get saltines or or rice cakes. So <laughs> I tried. I tried years ago. I tried those rice cakes. 
Oh, they're styrofoam. They're flavored it's, styrofoam. <laughs> if you if you lather them up with enough peanut butter <laughs> and and uh, marshmallow cream, they're mm. pretty good. Oh yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much what you have to do. To, I think that's kind of defeating the purpose completely. But. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. Are are you? Yeah. I it, it's right now. Of course, it's so hot. It's so oh hot. God. I, I I don't even want to walk the dog. Uh uh-uh. uh. No, my my dog is refusing to walk. Yeah, because it's just too. We we get a block down the road, and she's already panting and wanting to go home. My wife will take her out, but it's it's almost like dark or right at dark right. before she finally yeah. will take her out and let her run for a little bit because she goes nuts. She's so <laughs> full of, you know, vitality right? that she'll drive you nuts. And we've got two little six-week-old kittens. I showed you my legs. My <laughs> They're <gosh>. torn up. <laughs> it's, it's like my mom was appalled last night they're when pretty, she saw my legs. They could be pretty vicious. I said, yeah, they're playing parkour yeah. off my legs. <laughs> and, <laughs> but... Uh. But uh, but I need to, I just I just just walking a little bit helps. Yeah, just getting out, yeah. moving. Absolutely. But you know, I get here early in the morning, go eat lunch, and then go to my other studio where I'm working until at least five. That's twelve hour days. Uh, yeah. And I, by the time I get home and it's 108 degrees, I ain't going outside and walking. I'm telling <laughs> it you, makes it a little tough to get your steps in for sure. <laughs> Oh, well, congratulations, man. Yeah, thanks. I even didn't, though I it's didn't, not even... <laughs> I didn't even know it was happening until my wife you told me that notice, I have like, a your, neck. You didn't notice your pants fitting differently or I did, something? I did have to get new pants not long ago, um, but that's just because the other ones were old and, you know, I, right. I wear my pants a little loose anyways, but... Once I got these new pants and they actually fit, I kind of I I did realize I was down maybe two that's, pant sizes. That's funny. That's funny. Scott Hughes uh, joined us on Friday. We'll uh, hear the rest of that conversation after the break. Mike and McCarty, what a one. Let's get back to the show with Mike and McCarty on one hundred one seven FM and seven ten Keel. These two are looking at each other's legs. Shut up. <laughs> I have I have war wounds. <laughs> I'm just glad Mike's married to a nurse. Yeah. <laughs> Scott Hughes in studio, Mike and McCarty, 1017 FM, 710 Keel, continuing our conversation. Uh, this is definitely not uh, uh, a tempest in a teacup. No, this, this, this is a serious issue. It keeps growing. And um, again, I- so we're not just beating a dead horse. No, this is this I, I, is this is continues that. to grow. We continue to find more things out. And the issue really is it's beyond the issue now. The issue is the council's functionality. Can they function mm-hmm. as a governing body of the third largest city in Louisiana? They are in charge of a, I think it's probably about a half a billion dollar annual budget. Mm-hmm. 400 500 million dollar annual budget. And so whether whether anyone likes the council or not, I happen to like the council. They've actually been kind of effective, you know, from, from a governal standpoint the last several years. Um, they've reached a point where this is going to be a real challenge to their relationships and their ability to govern. And that's before we get to the final trust issue, which is the public's trust in them. Mm-hmm. I think the mayor is talking about bringing a bond issue out. They've all just put people on a committee. And, you know, you don't get bond issues without public trust. Okay. I asked you before the break. Does this rise to the level of uh, malfeasance in office, ethics violations, anything like that that could be looked at? 
Well, my my general caveat, I'm not an attorney, mm-hmm. you know, and so I always like to lead with that. Um, I'm going to say at this point, I don't know. Um, so far from what I've seen, I don't know. I mean, there, there's a technical violation of the, quote, law. These are council rules, you know. And so from a technical violation, yeah, we may have a, may have a violation. Um, ironically, in some of these situations, from my, my limited knowledge with HR, ironically, sometimes the violation actually falls back to the employee because who was, it, who was enriched? That's what you get back to. Mm-hmm. And so you get back to the person that actually accepted the money were the five employees. What if one of those employees also is a church member of your council chairman and regularly donates to that church? Does that rise to an ethics violation if you took action as a government official to do something that is going to also benefit you personally? I see the connection, but I I think that would be a real hard one to connect. That, that okay. that's that's some dots that seem like they might connect on the surface, but they they're really going to be hard to connect. Among other things, you get First Amendment protections, freedom mm-hmm. of religion, um, and then you know, and that. So I, I'm not sure that's the issue. I think the larger issue is who authorized this. Was it a legal authorization? And at the end of the day, this is really what the state auditor does. You know, um, the state auditor regularly audits cities, municipalities, government entities, and um, it, it's a payroll issue in, in, in the end. And, and it's one of the first things auditors check, you know, was the payroll correct, who authorized it? And that's why when I get back to me, you ask where, where there might be a potential problem is it could be with the employees actually getting the money if it wasn't legally authorized. I do believe they've taken actions to undo the raise. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not 100% sure if they're rescinding back or I think they're paying back the the monies. Um, and so I think this is going to be in the end. I don't see criminal charges coming out of this personally. I think it's this, this is political. And I think at the end, we very likely may see, remember, four votes. We very likely might see a change in chairperson. That's where the first issue might fall. Does how, do, the council, how do they do that legally? Does it, somebody make a motion that we have a new chair? It would simply take a motion. A motion mm-hmm. can be put on the, by any of the, by any of the um, council persons, and you've got to have four votes. And so mm-hmm. if they have four votes, and again, we're at this point in a 3-2-2, two, two, do the math. You know, if you can get the four votes, you can change the chair. Um, the other thing that I see coming potentially I is... Um, I don't know that it is a 3-2-2. Two, two. I, I know what you're saying. Ursula Bowman and Gary Brooks have seemed to uh, come together as a coalition. They have as, as come Democrats. out... They're, they're both Democrats. And right. They both, they, they both want to do what's right for their Democratic district. It's, it's how, it's what, just, that's why I get to the two. Mm-hmm. I got Yeah. Do you think it could it could boil down to as as simple as he made a mistake? They're paying back the money. It's done deal. It's over. I, I think on the surface, from the legality side, yes, we could probably get to that. And most people, I think, are going to want to move on. There'll be some that always want, mm. you know, some. I'm ready to move on but, now. But, but most are ready. No, to move on. I'm not. But, he stood up and lied to us. Well, I but know. He, he stood lied up and said, us. "I blessed them. They didn't ask me for this." He is a reverend. He is. I'm sorry. I'm preaching. I said most. <laughs> so, but no, but that, but Aaron represents, you know, she represents a good bit of the citizens who are going to want some accountability for this. And, and that's why I get back to, I think in the end, 
there's going to minimum have to be some political accountability for this. And that's mm-hmm. why many that watch the council are going, okay, at minimum we see a change in the leadership of the council. That, that, that's probably what it's going to take to put back together some working coalitions, perhaps as a new chairperson. Do you think that's really going to happen, though? I, well, I mean, but if he's, if he's removed solution. as chairman, then who become does somebody else become chairman or do they elect a new chairman? Well, that, that becomes what's interesting because there's lots of ways to get back to a working majority. One of them would be to come up with a new working coalition and agree to a new chairperson. Um, that could be one of the political ways you get back to this. Mm-hmm. Um, short of that, you're also going to start hearing rumblings. The citizens have recourse. That's called recall. And I'm not encouraging anyone to go recall. I'm actually the one that always comes on here and says that's a very high standard to recall mm-hmm. public officials. But there's three years left on these terms. Yeah. And there may be some people that come back and say, wait a second, maybe we need to look at that as a political option in the community. Who's politically most damaged by all that has happened. You're a political analyst. What do you think? Well, my, my, my immediate gut is the most political damage. You, you start with Reverend Green and Alan Jackson, Dr. Jackson. Um, I'm almost at this point more inclined to think that, that Dr. Jackson may have more political damage because Reverend Green's been around for a long time. This mm-hmm. is his second or third time through the council. And, right. and at the end of the day, Reverend Green has shown a penance to survive. Um, his, his, his constituents like him. He gets elected. He had no opposition when he ran last time. Mm -hmm. So in the end, he can probably weather a political storm unless he's removed from office somehow. I think Dr. Jackson has higher political aspirations. I think he's going to want at some point to do something that takes – first of all, he's in a more diverse district. He's in a district where he may not have as easy political survival as maybe James Green. But I think Dr. Jackson would like to get to a bigger district at some point. He might want to run for mayor at some point. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think that this could come back to haunt him in that regard. Um, But he also chose to be the spokesperson. To be honest, we've only heard from Reverend Green twice. We heard from him in the 30-minute speech at the council, and we heard from him in his press conference. He doesn't do pressers. He doesn't call you. He doesn't Mm -hmm. give out statements. I think Dr. Jackson has gone around on many media outlets and keeps opening himself up to question. I think politically, um, Ursula Bowman has, um, she's going to take some negative, but the Bowmans have always had a, a history of being very outspoken, very strong, back to Joyce and both the sons. And so I don't think Joyce Bowman, I don't, I don't think Ursula Bowman's hurt herself at all in this. I think that, oh, that absolutely um, even, the, even within the African American community, I think she's getting credit for standing up for what's right. And what does Dr. Jackson do for a living? I got a text from someone wanting to know, what, what is his primary gig? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to say he's lead with the word entrepreneur because he does several things. But to my knowledge, Dr. Jackson, to my specific knowledge, he actually is a real estate broker. And I run the Real Estate Association, so I'm very much aware that he does serve as the broker for um, two different real estate brokerages. But he also, as my understanding, does some financial aid work with Grambling, I believe. He's mm-hmm. worked at other institutions in the past. And then he owns several small businesses. And so okay. he does multiple things beyond just being a council person. When I say, when I said earlier, I'm ready to put this behind us, I didn't mean let it go. That's not what I meant. Okay. Because we had a council chairman lie to us, mm-hmm. knowingly lie to us, not make a false statement, not not miss, you know. Untruths, no. yeah. He knew what he was saying wasn't was true. Not true, yeah. Yeah. And then the last piece of this, I'll just kind of maybe close with is that we got to watch is the other thing that got dragged in weirdly in the last day or two was the administration. 
you know, is that this hasn't just been lashing out at council staff or the council persons or past chairpersons, mm-hmm. Flurry and Bowman, is now we have allegations over into the, into the administrative office, which the council is the body that serves as a check against the administration. Right. So, you know, this, this could have some deep political um, um, tentacles, I'll just say. It's going to okay. take a while to un, un, unpack this. Mm. Mm, it's a mess. Thank you it, for coming in. It is in. a mess. It's an embarrassing mess. It is well, embarrassing. well, I do want to say this because I come on as a guest. I do want to thank you, Aaron and Mike, y'all. I think y'all have done some tremendous reporting, um, oh, some, some news reporting to actually have gone back and, and pulled this. And um, and everything you did was fact-based. And so mm-hmm. I don't know if you're taking any heat, but I, behalf on people that listen to you, want to say thank you for your work because um, you really kind of went back and just didn't accept the surface-level story, and that has led to where we are today. And I do think that, I mean, if you think back in the history, the recent history of the city of Shreveport, we've had many, quote, scandals. I'll use air quotes mm-hmm. on that. So I don't think this is going to take down the government. No. But, but this one has created, beyond, beyond the money side, this one's created personal problems, and that's really where we've got to get the trust rebuilt. With the, whether we like the council persons or not, they're our council. We're not going to go forward as a city unless those seven individuals can work together, and that's what we've got to get somehow them working back together. Or if they can't, we've got to find a new way to, to deal with the council. Especially if they're going to come try to sell a bond issue to me this year. And, yeah. and and let me say, Scott, on what you just talked about, I 25, what, 30 years experience sitting over there that she draws upon. And I'm in awe watching her work. Oh, whatever. Uh, I'm new to I mean, I'm new to this, basically. Mm-hmm. I, I, I haven't kept up with city council business and city government for the past 30 years like you have. And yeah. I'm, I'm learning as well. Well, today's so, social and, media. And I, I recognize that and I acknowledge mm-hmm. Aaron. God, great work. Today, in today's social media world, we think a lot about news cycles and just, you know, spin and, and what we hear, but facts matter. And, and I think y'all did mm-hmm. some tremendous fact based um, reporting on this. I just want to say thank you. You bet. Well, safe travels to you. I know you're yeah. heading up. Have fun in Boston. Well, my um, we, we take we take the youngest to college, and so it'll be quite a trip. I'm just I've reached the point where um, I, I saw um, I follow a, a website called Mike's Weather. If people don't see that, okay. he tracks the storms out in the Gulf, and I have to sadly admit I'm kind of rooting for a small hurricane. <laughs> our, our state needs the water. We, we just do. reached the point where we've got to break this. Dur- during the break, a moment ago, real quick, we were, Scott and I were discussing this Trump indictment and all of this mm-hmm. just during the break, and Ruben walked back in the room y'all aren't gonna believe this it's raining outside (laughs) (laughs) what what and we all three believed it because we We all have hope i'm I'm a jerk sorry about that he was lying it's not raining (laughs) it was great it lightened the room yes it did scott thank you so much thank you all for what you Mm -hmm. do 1017 fm 7 now more breaking news and trending talk with Mike and McCarty on 1017 FM and 710 Keel. Ruby, you rock. Thank you so much, man. Appreciate your help. No problem. Louis R. Avalone joining us again tomorrow morning. I think Stephen Parr will be joining us in the 8 o'clock hour. Perfect. From American Ground Radio, Mike and McCarty, 1017 FM, 710 Keel.com.